Have you ever wondered what it's really like to be a professional chef? Have you ever wondered what inspiration chefs rely on to keep them on track and excited about being in the kitchen every day? Our guest today will answer those and more. He believes in building big, bold dreams from life's blessings. Hello and welcome to TripCast 360, the podcast of lively banter about travel, tourism, and entertainment. This is Michael Gordon-Bennett coming to you from Las Vegas, and I am joined by the Barbados Flash via the Big Apple, Dave Cumberbatch. Dave, man, we're we going to talk about some food today, brother. Oh, yeah, and we've got an exciting guest. We, we're, we're not going to say who that guest is until you do the intro, but just for a little banter. You know, Michael, I read today in the news that tens of thousands of folks are going to lose their jobs in the airline industry because they, they, the airlines are about to run out of COVID-19 benefits. That's, that's sad, isn't it? It, it, the global pandemic has taken a toll on not only the uh, uh, airline industry, the hotel industry, and as I'm sure our guest today will tell you, it has really kicked the teeth out of the restaurant business. And I don't know, I don't know how, I'm trying not to get too political, but I don't know how the people in Washington can, can just sit on their hands and do nothing. Uh, you know, this, this battle over COVID relief, which is actually going on right now in Congress, is stupid. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just putting it out there. I'm, you know, I, I get mad talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, we all do. We all do get mad. Uh, something else I saw in the news, and, and this leads right into to our guest uh, area. I read where an Irish court, court says that Subway bread, Subway the franchise, Subway bread is too sugary to be called bread. <laughs> okay, I, I'm going to let that slide too Because if, if you know anything about European bread Remember, my girlfriend's from Spain And they eat bread like it's candy And, you know, I, I'm sure she'll have some input If I walked in there and told her that just now She's in the other room, so I should go get her You know, you're bread full of sugar, baby <laughs> Oh, man Anyway, let, let, let's not keep our guests waiting, but let me do my few housekeeping notes first. You can catch our podcast at TripCast360.com or wherever you get your podcast. Please share, subscribe, and like us with your family and friends. We look forward to hearing from you. And you can also follow us on social media, at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter on our website, TripCast360.com. All right. And as promised, it's time for a little mouth-watering fun. Our guest won season four of the Next Food Network Star. Let me try that again. Our guest won season four of the Next Food Network Star, beating thousands of culinary hopefuls for the ultimate dream job, his own Food Network show. He went on to star in Big Daddy's House, where it was the number one ranked in the kitchen weekend show. He's also appeared on Food Network shows, The Best Thing I Ever Ate, and Guy's Grocery Games. You might also recognize him as a regular expert on Spike TV's Bar Rescue and its spinoff, Back to the Bar. He recently joined the QBC on-air lineup as an expert guest on Cook's Essentials, which airs Sunday, 12 to 4 Eastern. And if that's not enough, this brother also has his own line of sauces and spices, which you'll learn more about here today. Big Daddy himself is in the house. Aaron Mercargo, welcome to TripCast 360, brother. 
What's up, fellas? Glad to be in your house. <laughs> ah, same here, same here. Yeah, it's, it's a little early here on the West Coast. So pardon me, I'm drinking coffee. Hey, I would have had a shot of tequila, but I figured I'd keep my, my sanity for a couple minutes. <laughs> I, I, I did that last night when I celebrated the Lakers win, so I'm okay. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, the Lakers, the Lakers, the Lakers. Yo, you see, man. You yeah. see Aaron, you see Aaron, Michael, Michael knows that I'm a Knicks fan, you know, and okay. he, he just has to rub that in every time. Hey, I'm a Sixers fan, so I'm gonna keep quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the choir boy right here that can't sing, so I'll just I'll let him enjoy his moment right now. Well, well I, I have some news for you, Aaron. Since I got family yeah. who live in Philly, y'all better hope y'all hired Doc Rivers. We better hope we hired Doc Rivers, Rivers for yeah. sure. You know. Yeah, hey, I, people love playing him. Guys. Yep, oh, it, it really is. Sure. People love playing for Doc. And, uh, you know, if you get into uh, uh, dealing with Mike D'Antoni, y'all going to be like the Houston Rockets. Oh. <laughs> and you know what they're doing right now, right? Yep. <laughs> they're trying to figure things out. Yeah, not, not to mention the fact that they're so far over the salary cap, they can't change their roster. Wow. Uh, wow. Bad position to be in. Yeah. And I think we need a little bit of maturity to just help out our, our big men. Our, we got a lot of great talent in Philly. We just yeah. need someone to mold them. I and I think Doc Rivers coming in with the leadership, not that uh, Larry Brown didn't do his job or any of the other coaches, but I think this would be a good spend and good energy. And um, we, we, we can see, I hope they bring you more. Yeah. Just do yeah. me a favor. Just do me a favor. Since I know you live close to them, would you drive yeah. over there and teach Ben Simmons how to shoot a jump shot? <laughs> I teach him that and I'm going to teach him how not to be a point guard. How's that? I <laughs> Thank <for> you. <laughs> be because I, I tell you what, Embiid, him and Joker out in Denver and Anthony Davis might be the three best big men in all of basketball. Hands down, without a doubt. That's yep. not, that's, you just nailed the, the, the coffin yep. shot. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And absolutely. if he comes in and he plays right, Philly could go a long way, even in yeah. the Eastern Conference. So, absolutely. And, yeah. As for the Dave, jump shot is needed, though. Exactly. <laughs> that's a must. <laughs> and Dave, as for, as for your Knicks, I'm just going to offer you my apologies now. <laughs> well, well, I'm not going to comment on that. I'm just going to say, Aaron, thanks for joining us today. <laughs> hey, I like sugary bread. <laughs> uh, look, we're going to change the topic. <laughs> you probably don't remember me, but I, I first met you, I believe it was in 2012 in Barbados yes. at the Barbados Food and Rum Festival. Yes. And, um, I interviewed you at that time, and that interview was a hit. It really yes. was a hit at that time, huh? Eh? Yes, and uh, I do remember you. When I saw your face, I couldn't see the name, and then I, I hit you up. And I'm like, uh, okay, that's David. Got you. Uh, there, there you go. There you go. To get started, Aaron, uh, when did you know that you wanted to be a chef? When did you first realize that, that you wanted to be a chef? I'll have to give the credit to my dad. I always knew I loved, to cook. I loved food. I didn't know what cooking was. But at the early age of four, I remember playing around with my sister's Easy Bake Oven, just enjoying seeing how things smell in the kitchen where my mom and dad was cooking. Um, I was always a greedy kid, loved to eat. It was eight of us, um, and it all never seemed like it was enough food. So food, being greedy, drove me to want to cook because um, I said I need to have enough food for myself, and I don't want to share. And I decided to, to to stick with it. My dad would say, you're going to be a chef, you're going to be a chef, because he always saw me in the kitchen just playing around with something to make anything um, to, to show him and my mom that I, I could do something in the kitchen. And he just always encouraged me to, to just keep with it and stick with it. So that's what I did. Took his advice and stuck with it. 
Yeah, and I'm certain that you didn't disappoint him. You didn't disappoint me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, I got two people that's happy. Can I get a third? Give like, <laughs> me something on hey, this. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with you, Brady. Just, just know I'm there. You know, we, we okay. like this. Okay. okay? <laughs> got you. <laughs> Where did you get your training, uh, um, Aaron? And how, how difficult was that? I'll I tell you this. Um, I always say this. I always got to start with the reality in my world, and that's Jesus Christ, because I never can take any credit besides God just really gifted me. When they said, did you learn from your grandparents or your parents? No. I did go to culinary school, but that wasn't where the gift came from. That's not where the passion came from. That was just going according to the world's order of doing things. So I got to say, it's a really self-taught blessing uh, from God that I could wake up um, in the middle of the night, have an idea about a recipe or something to cook, jot it down, go test it out. And I've been doing this as far back as I can remember. And of course, taking some tidbits from my mentors um, and from uh, actually culinary school. But the main thing was just this natural knack to want to just create big flavored foods that I believe that everyone was going to like. And um, when people ask me this question, you know, that's the only honest answer I can ever give because I can't give it to one actual person in my life or to one school to say I learned it and I knew it and I love it because I think I have my own unique style of cooking and I, I, I appreciate that. Nice. You had mentioned mentors and I know your family, you, your mother and father are very important to you. And I know they were part of your mentorship, but uh, outside of family, do you have some other mentors that you kind of look up to that kind of steered the ship uh, in one direction or another for you? Absolutely. I have um, my best friend and mentor to this day, uh, Chef John Jernigan. He was the guy that took a knucklehead at 15 years old, and he really just jacked me up physically, mentally, emotionally, and said, hey, man, if you want to do this, you got to get your act together. You know, you can't have this ghetto hood mentality. You can't do the things you're doing. You can't come in drunk. You can't come in late. You got to really be passionate and know that you're about to change people's lives with your food. Um, and he really hit me in the head. And then I got my best friend, who wasn't a chef, Alberto Nieves, who was like always, we've been together since kindergarten. And he said, when I get into money, Macargo, and I remember him saying this in high school, we're going to open up a restaurant. And it took 20 years after that for him to come back, like, let's open up a restaurant in Camden. And we did that. Um, so mentors come in different ways for me. Um, I had the opportunity to work at um, Thomas Jefferson um, University Hospital in Philadelphia as their catering chef. And my boss, the best female boss ever, Mary Grant, um, was willing to trust me and say, do what you do that you've been doing all your life to make the people happy uh, when we do these catered events. So I would say, you know, oh, and I can't forget Phil Falsoni. Um, he's a dear friend, actually at QVC, crazy story about that, but he was my culinary producer for Big Daddy's House. And he was one that really gave me the confidence behind the scenes when it comes to the TV aspect of my career with saying, hey, yo, man, people are gonna love your food, this is what you need to do, come strong like that. And he really just coached me um, along the way. So I, I really have to say those four people from the top, uh, besides my pastor praying for me, of course, uh, were very influential people in my life to, to mentor me into this the position I'm in now. Nice, nice, nice. How did you find yourself in that competition on the Food Network? Uh, I mean, you know, I, I've been in the TV business for 30, 40 years. Sometimes it takes a lot of guts to put yourself out there like that, you know, and, and take that chance and knowing that you're on live TV competing against other people and, and taking the, the, the pride of competing and sometimes the shame of losing. Well, I, I, I need not say anything else. You just answered it. I mean, <laughs> it, 
Next, I mean, you hit it on the head. I'm going to keep it real. Coming from Camden, New Jersey, um, one of the, at times, worst cities in the country at one point, never have an idea of being on TV, never having a thought of being before millions of people, never having a thought of competing, because I competed with myself in cooking. And I think anyone that's a, you know, that hones in on their credit, they compete with themselves first. But to walk into New York City for the first time in my entire life, meet 10 strangers, and know that I'm going to be competing for, I still didn't know what the heck Next Food Network Star was all about, because it was not my idea to go on there like, hey, I want to be here on the TV. It was something that my wife's wife happened to see, and she mentioned it to me, and I'm like, well, I'll do anything. I'm What I got to lose, that was always my attitude, but I didn't know what the severity of entering into a major contest that was going to be seen nationwide was going to, and how it was going to impact my life and what it actually meant until I actually started week one of Next Food Network Star. And like you said, you got the chance to win it, but you have that chance to lose it. And when you don't lose too often, when it comes to something you love, it hurts when you do. So to have someone tell you it was okay, but it just didn't hit the mark, I became Camden Knight. I wanted to fight. I'm like, yo, get this, <laughs> take this off the studio floor and handle this, because I know it was good. But um, every day was a battle to just um, know that I had to, A, trust God, and B, Know that what I've been doing all my life, this is the opportunity to show the world. And to come out the winner after, you know, so many months of being away from home and so many challenges and so many ups and downs and so many emotional ups and downs, uh, it's still, to this day, one of the most challenging, most rewarding things I've ever done. And still one of the most memorable things I will never forget. Day one to the third month I was leaving. Um, I remember every day as it was it was yesterday. Well, I'm, I'm glad I watched a YouTube video of you making chicken tortellini yesterday, by the way. I think you just posted it like in the last couple of weeks. And uh, we're going to talk about chicken later because I'm not a cook. Okay, I'm going okay. to be right up front. Dave is. Okay. Dave knows how to cook. I can't cook worth nothing, but I can eat. Uh, okay. you know, <laughs> I, I'm six foot four and weighed about 270 pounds. I can eat. But <laughs> I, I say all that to say to you, I need somebody. You can tell me later. We don't got to talk about this now. I want somebody to tell me how to take chicken and cook it so it doesn't dry out. I got you covered. Okay. I, I got you covered. All right. Uh, we, we can talk about that later because Dave had a question okay. for you and I cut him off. But we can get to that. <laughs> all right, okay. Dave, go. <laughs> How did that experience change you? How did it change you as a person, as an individual? Well, honestly, the Next Food Network Star humbled me a lot because um, when you come out of culinary school, if you've been working outside doing your own thing, you, you get a little bit of an arrogance and ego um, because the people around you in your circle tell you that your food is good, it looks good, it tastes good, and you start to build that reputation, whether in your neighborhood, your state, your town, that you're pretty good. And it's not a negative arrogance, but you're like, okay, but then when you go and transition into a competition with having judges and other people that think their food is just as good or better than yours. Um, it sort of, it humbles you as, as far as like um, putting a little bit of fear in you. It, it makes you like doubt yourself at some point, but also mm -hmm. it makes you push yourself a little further and harder because you just don't come in to lose. I remember the first interview I did with Next Food Network Star. What are you looking to do here? I said, this is a job interview. I come here to get the job. I don't come here to lose. And I'm not going home a loser. And they all looked at me like they probably heard that a thousand times before, but I wasn't raised from that cloth. I was raised that, you know, we want to play to win. This is what you're going to do. And it really just taught me that uh, there's a lot of other talented chefs out there. There's a lot of people that aren't going to see your food the way you see it, but you just got to stick to your culinary point of view, stick to what you know, and just keep doing what you do and what you've always done. And that's what I continue to do. Um, even now today, the competition winning that was great, 
but I still had to keep owning the big bowl flavor mentality. And that's how I, I cook and um, that's how I rock. Hey man, listen, you're tough. You're from Camden, okay? You're from yeah. Camden, New right. Jersey. You're tough. What's your, what's, what's your favorite cuisine to cook? It's hard to answer that question. I think a lot of chefs, maybe some will, but a lot of chefs I know, we, we're, it's hard because it's about the customer. It's about you. Like, so it, it's not a favor of mine because I'm like, Mike, I like everything, you know, like, um, but I also say, um, if I have to say anything, it's something, flavorful food is my thing. And, you know, when I was in Barbados, the food rocked. I mean, it was freaking ridiculous, ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous. And I, and that's what I like. I like traveling. I like going to places where people are all about the big, bold flavor. So when it comes to my favorite types of food, anything that has flavor and that's bold is, is my thing. Nice, nice. How do you control the uh, sodium content? Does that, that, does that fall into your thinking when you're preparing? Absolutely. And it's always been a big thing. For some years, I was a spokesperson for a dialysis company, Fresenius. And I learned so much about dialysis and the diets and the low sodium diet to zero diets. And, I, and I've had hypertension and I've had some, some health issues myself based on the salt content being so high. When you add salt with stress, it's a bad combination for, you know, and it's a good recipe for death. But I'm always conscious of how much salt that I use, how much salt is in the food that I buy, how much salt I'm putting in any dishes in any restaurants that I've consulted or opened. There's never no salt on the table because I say, not just for the black community, but for any community, you don't need salt to flavor your food. Get into your herbs, get into your spices, bring that lemon, the, yeah. salt, the lime, the zest, bring the things that God has already given us to bring that, you know, and let the salt be just a little bit of an enhancer. But, and that's how I operate and rock my food. The salt is just there as a back singer, not the you know, lead singer. And, wow. and, and if you don't think he's walking the walk, I listened to a couple of your YouTube videos and you actually talk about no salt content in your food, which is actually a perfect segue into talking about your spices and sauces. Because I, I looked at that video yesterday and you specifically said there's no salt in this stuff. Talk, talk, talk to us about your spices and sauces, brother. You got my teeth about to pop up off my face. Look at this right here. I did my homework, man. Yeah. What? No, this is it. That, that, now you about to get this brother to grow an afro because I'm like. <laughs> no, grow some locks. Grow some locks. <laughs> Yo, that's going to be my move. Get the afro. Locks is there. I got, hey, Dave, you just found yourself a, trim, a twin brother, all right? Yeah. Well, you got the smile, so all I got to do is get my locks. <laughs> Yo, the sauce and the spice, my baby. Crazy short, long story of it was when I was doing a lot of traveling after the Next Food Network star, my wife would tell me, like, you all, I was leaving meals at home for them. Like, I would make, like, um, the salad would be the first nice meal. Then they would have taco meat with all the, the things that make tacos for Tuesday the next day. And I was just building, like, a chicken cacciatore, whatever it was. So they could have meals throughout the week. And I remember in the kitchen, just, she's like, your food always tastes good and consistent. What is it? And I said, well, I don't know. It just used this. And I put these spices together and it became the spice. And she was like, leave me a bag of that. Literally, I left a Ziploc bag of the spice in the cabinet. And when I come back, no matter if I was going for two days or two weeks, it was gone. So I was making them in batches. Then I gave it to my brother, who's my best friend. He was like, bro, that's the bomb. Make that. Give me a bag of that. So I'm like, okay. So I started making batches of it. And then I said, well, if I got something dry, not, why not make something wet? And so, because I was using a lot of garlic, like a lot of people, a lot of garlic, a lot of olive oil, a lot of lemon juice, lemon zest. I was talking to talk, walking to walk, less salt. So I decided to come up with 
the sauce. And that was like a concentrate that um, was very strong. When you first taste it, you'll be like, oh my God, it does have salt in it. I didn't say it doesn't have salt. It has salt flavoring, but it doesn't, I'm not actually putting any salt whatsoever in this product. I'm going to use seasons and flavorings that has salt content that's very low because you're going to need that flavor. And I don't want you to have to add salt to anything that I create. That was the birth of the sauce. And then my wife went crazy. My brother went crazy. And I started to give it to my church and people. And they were like, you need to put that in a bottle and give me that. And so that's how the sauce and the spice was birthed. And to you, your point, Michael, when you're talking about having moist, juicy chicken without it being dry, a lot of folks understand the more salt in something, the more you draw out the moisture. And then you find yourself having dry uh, poultry or dry steak or even seafood to some point, with, besides not letting it rest. And I said, I wanted people to have flavorful ingredients in their kitchen, in their cabinet, cupboard, whatever you want to call it, that you don't have to stress about making blends. When you got the sauce or the spice, you add that to anything besides something sweet. If you got Brussels sprouts, you got spinach, you got cabbage, you got beans, you got fish, shrimp, whatever you want, you just use these two components side by side or individually. It flavors your food. You don't have to add salt or spice. You don't have to add any garlic. You don't have to add anything to really make the flavor good. And no matter how much you use it or where you use it at, it doesn't taste like you're using the sauce or the spice. And that was the home run for me because folks were like, okay, I can literally add two scoops and dinner is done because I'm all about a budget. I'm all about time efficiency and I'm all about consistency and flavor. And that's when the sauce and the spice was born. And it's been pretty much a, a staple for a lot of people since then. Okay. Tell us where we can get it. I mean, I know you're selling it on your website, AaronMcCargo.com. Am I correct? AaronMcCargo.com. Yeah. That's where it's at for now. And that's where it's, it's, it's been for a little bit until we get it to the point that we can really get it to a bigger market. Um, I'm comfortable with people just really just getting to know the sauce and the spice on this level. Um, when folks have ordered, we got a lot of repeat customers that have mentioned how it's changed their life. It allows their kids to get in and learn how to cook differently and healthier. A lot of folks are digging it because they have the big, bold flavor without all the salt. And folks are traveling with this. Um, even us, we take the spice to the movie theater and sprinkle it on our popcorn. I always wow. order my popcorn, no salt. So that means they're going to make me a fresh batch. And I'll sprinkle it on there. We, my wife will take it into restaurants with us because some restaurants got the, the diners got the great home fries, but they don't have the great flavor. We hit that spice on there and, you know, we keep it moving. So um, it's, it's definitely an Aaron worth going to and ordering and, and trying out for yourself. And for a short time only, we have a seafood. Um, flavoring of the sauce, which I did in the video yesterday when I did the shrimp and scallop uh, scampi, because a lot of folks are doing seafood. You want to do your clams or, or your mussels in red sauce or white sauce. You want to do a shrimp, uh, shrimp scampi or chowder. Um, you just don't know how to flavor that seafood. Or if you're doing your crabs, now you have to seafood the sauce to, uh, to make that pop and happen as well. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, Aaron has his own YouTube channel where you can see a lot of his videos, which is where I saw some of his videos about some of his recipes yesterday. Aaron, tell everybody what that YouTube channel is, brother. It's uh, Aaron McCargo. And then you can Instagram is Chef McCargo. Uh, Twitter is McCargo. Anywhere you type in McCargo, just leave off the junior. You're going to find me. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Okay, nice. Um, T tell me something. How did uh, Big Daddy's House, what did you learn from having your own TV show? Um, they spoiled the crap out of you, man. It was <laughs> awesome. What? Yo, no more eating hot dogs and spam. I was like sitting in Del Frisco's eating that like breakfast every day. Like it, it was it was amazing. But um, honestly, it showed me how much it goes, what goes behind a great show, what goes into making a show successful. And it's all about the crew. 
you know, the, like, a lot of folks don't talk about this. They talk about the, the talent's the least of the freaking equation in my world. It's the lighting guys, the sound guys, um, the, the associate producers. And of all people, and Michael, you can speak to this, the PAs are the bomb. When you have these PAs that are grinding and hustling to get a, a stake in the game and trying to earn their way and they're keeping and being in this, this industry, um, a lot of them have been such a blessing to me. They wait on you hand and foot, they'll do whatever it takes, but um, learning how to, to just take orders from those that do it well. Right. And all you have to do is just do what you do. You know, you don't have to produce, you don't have to direct, you just need to do what you do. And I had a great producer in Gordon Elliott um, and Mark and, and everyone that was on the crew of Big Daddy's house. And they've really um, had patience with showing me and teaching me and also letting me do what I do. And that's what I think gave us so much success with the show. Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned the crew because it was one of my pet peeves in the industry when I saw crew being mistreated. Uh, and especially since it was me, I was the one in uh, primarily responsible for the hiring of those crews. So I always made it a point that I got crews that work well together. But more importantly, I made sure and I to I've told talent to their face, you mistreat my crew, we're gonna figure out a way to get you out of the show. I, I just tell them that because it you don't Hollywood entertainment TV does not work without a good crew. Amen. Period. I could not have done anything I've done without an amazing crew i mean the culinary producers like i said the pas can't get enough love from me the lighting guys the sound guys everybody that is passionate about their job to make sure that your passion shines through in the best way it could right it's what makes success to me the industry that that you're in being on the food network being on qvc is extremely competitive how do you how do you ensure success is it about sticking to what you're good at or is there such a thing as following trends within the industry, within the food industry? It's, it's, I, I know I'm going to sound repetitive on this, but it's a lot of prayer because the two latter parts of that question is what happened. You'll fall into following trends and you'll fall into following patterns if you don't stay true to what you do and who you are. And it's easy to do because you'll watch someone long enough and see their success. And I've been on the teetering part of that. Like, wow, how do they do that? Like, I'll say David Venable is an amazing um host on qbc watch now he interacts with the crowd with the, the the viewers watch how he touches the product and all that it was a good learning thing but then i had to also take my eyes off of him like okay aaron they hired you to do you um you can learn the techniques but make it your and own it your own and that's what's tricky about this industry because there's so many people that are so good at something that i wasn't born to do or i wasn't gifted or thought i could do um, and know that, hey, these guys are here and they're making a name for them. And now that social media is how you really keep a job or get a job by how many viewers and followers you have. Yeah, That was intimidating as well because I'm like, hey, I'm just a chef trying to do me. Um, but the people behind the scenes that have been by my side, those mentors and these people in my life have been like, hey, just stay consistent to you, be you. And even with QVC, the first and only thing they told me was, be you. We're hiring you because of your personality. Let people see that and talk about the product and love it. And so I, I really got to keep my focus daily. And you know what? You sort of answered my question, I believe. I was just going to ask you, what role does your personality play? play? You know, you, you, can be a, you, you can be a good cook, but you might not be good for television. So I was going to ask you, what role does having a personality like yours play in terms of your success? Well, it's funny because I don't see my personality because I'm, I'm me in the body. So I, whatever it. people, <laughs> yeah, don't see it, I'm good. You know, so, and I know that I trust my kids. 
I trust you guys. And I just know that I'm walking around earth um, just being me, you know, and try to be the best me, try to be someone that um, has integrity, um, has honor, respect for everyone um, that loves this, this gift that I've been given and that it doesn't control me, but I know how to want to share it with the world. And QVC has given me an opportunity to be me and talk about great product that I think will make anybody's life easier, whether it's a coffee pot, uh, a tumbler, whether it's a, a, a skillet, uh, a can opener. They've given me an opportunity to talk about great products and really match my food, my ability to show you what to do with this, also with some hopefully entertaining, uplifting spirit behind everything. And then we are, it's a win-win for QVC and myself. Well, you right. do it well. Yep. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> You, you have mentioned a couple of times in the conversation when you describe the, the style of cook that you are and the style of food that you like to prepare. You've used the word bold several times. Tell us what bold means to you when, when you apply it to cooking. Bold means I won't forget that whatever that thing was in that dish because it hit me. And that's what I do in my food. So whether it be a PB&J to a rack of ribs or brisket to an, a French dish or an African dish, my thing is to make sure that the flavors, the spices, whatever I put in there hits you in the moment that you're like, oh my goodness, that tastes so good. And it's not that it was salty and it's not that it was sweet, not that it was sour, not that it was hot. It was flavorful. And that would bold me. That's flavor. And when you get flavor in your mouth, and I'm sure you know your eater, and I'm sure David knows because he's Bayesian, this is, this is something that sticks with you. Because people will walk away and say, that was salty. And they will never forget you made that salty dish. Well, they're like, that was a little too sweet. Was, but when you got flavor, people remember you in right. a different way. See, that's, that's why I like those PB&Js. By the way, long, short story that I, I'm going to make even shorter. My mother, when I was like 16, 17 years old, she'd go to the store and buy a loaf of bread. <laughs> she, she'd leave it on the kitchen table for me. So when I got home from school, I could make me a whole loaf of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. <laughs> and I ate the whole loaf within an hour. Full of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And she knew she came home from work. There was just another loaf sitting there. My father didn't touch that bread. My sisters didn't touch that bread. That was my bread. And uh, so, yeah, I get you. And to this day, I still eat those PB&Js. Yes, sir. And now they got the crustables. You know? <laughs> what? <laughs> Strawberry or grape. <laughs> we, we, we didn't grow up with money, so PB&J was a good substitute for a meal. Yeah. Yes, it Hence, is. Yes, it is. Hence the 6'4", 285 pounds. And you notice how he keeps adding weight to me all the time. <laughs> I thought it was 220 myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that was my player weight. <laughs> hey, pole dancing weight, huh? There, there you go. By the, by the time Dave gets done with me, I'm going to be weighing like Shaq. <laughs> so, sorry sorry Shaq I haven't seen you in a long time sorry brother um, so, uh, I, I'm gonna make another pivot since you opened the door for this too we uh, know that you are now with QBC doing cookie essentials tell us about the show how you got involved with QBC uh, what you're going to be doing and uh, I, I know a little bit about it but I'd rather hear it from you as I start everything what a blessing uh, just sitting there getting an agent, a call from my agent saying, hey, man, um, what you think about QVC? And that's all he had to say. I'm like, I have no idea. I don't watch it because I will buy everything on the channel 24 hours a day. And he was like, um, so I went through this long interviewing process with them. And then to come out and 
you know, here it is, me, Cooks Essentials, QVC. I'm having an opportunity on Sundays from 12 to 4, some Wednesdays from 8 to 10 to, to talk to folks out there that are looking to make their lifestyle easier with the Cooks Essentials brand and knowing that I'm behind a brand that I can put my, my word is my bond. You know, where we come from, if your word is your word, I'm going to go with you. And whether it's the sauce or the spice or whether it's my cookbook, when I talk about something you need to have in your house, I can be 100% guaranteed that with the brand of Cooks Essential and QB, QVC behind it, that you won't make a mistake. When I stand behind that product and tell you, you need to have this in your house. Last night, we were talking about a tumbler. You need to have that tumbler in your house. I don't care if you don't get it for anybody. Just get that coffee tumbler. It's not something that I'm here to pitch. I'm not here to sell. I'm just here to tell you honestly, if it works for me and I'm standing here in Aaron Cargo Jr. saying, it's the bomb, don't sleep on this, you best believe you better get that. And that's the opportunity I get to have with QVC and Cooks Essential is to be able to be myself, talk about what works in my household for me and my family, let you know the durability of it, let you know that it's going to be something to give away as a gift, but mainly to talk about how it works for me and how it can work for you. So to have that opportunity and the platform to work with such a big brand that's in over 100 million homes, 24 hours a day. What more can Man, I say? You're blessed. What more you're can blessed. I say? Man, I'm blessed. Amen. Man, man, man. Hey, I, I, yeah. I, I'm going to tell you, you know, straight up, I know David will, will echo this sentiment. We're proud of you, man, because yeah. I appreciate uh, you. You know, I know how hard it is to uh, be out there in the public eye. Uh, I am yeah. not, and I, I'm going to tell you point blank, I am not very good at promoting myself. And I've always had to depend on others to promote me because I'm just not good at it. But I've started to realize that if I don't start tooting my own horn to a certain extent, I'm going to suffer. And I've, I'll be honest with you, I've watched your videos. I've watched your show. My girlfriend loves Bar Rescue with you on it. Uh, I showed her your picture. Wow. She remembered you and, she, and, and the idea of self-promotion, but doing it tastefully. You're not, you're not over the top with it. You're not boisterous and bragging, hey, it's all about me. But at the same time, you know, you got a name that you got to uphold. And that, that takes a right. special talent. So, you know, I, I just want to say from us, I'm proud of you because you've mastered that skill. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And it's, 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 it's daily prayer, man. It's daily prayer. God always lets me know that where I've come from. And I tell you guys, on real talk, you talk about a brother from the hood that had a lot of opportunities to do a lot of other things. I've been persuaded to do the same things a lot of these people are doing. And I'm not trying to paint a hood party or a, a sad picture because Camden's awesome and offers a lot of great things. But coming up in the 80s and the 90s and seeing the drug game and seeing how things were changing and turning around for the worse in the black communities, the Puerto Rican communities, just in my town alone. And knowing that, God, you took me? Mm -hmm. Really? You either got a sense of humor or you just got a lot of love for me because you took me from the hood to give me an opportunity to do what you gave me to do. Because if you guys want to know what I would have been doing, I hate school with a passion. I knew I wasn't going to college. I hated to, to listen to people because I, threw, I thought I knew everything. I didn't think I would be able to find a wife or family because I was too immature. Like I could count numerous things that didn't seem right, but God just found it in his, in his eyes to say, this is what I'm gonna do for you. So I, I don't have no space to brag on anything that I did because I didn't do it on my own. I had nothing to do with this. And to this day, I tell my kids this, you have nothing to do with this. And I, I stay on my knees praying because God, at any given day, I can be a different person. And it's to you guys, I want to say thank you thank for you. acknowledging God that you see thank me because this is not something I can take ownership. Thank you. Have you ever been told that, that you 
are good for public speaking, inspirational public speaking. Have you ever been told that? It's been mentioned to me a couple of times, but I, I just look at it as like, maybe somebody was just bored in the moment and they just wanted to hear what I had to say. I don't know. Uh, so I never really took a lot of interest in it. I, I, I started my nonprofit, Play to Win, and uh, the boys in my program tell me like, Chef, the things you tell me impact my life. And that's what feeds me to, to continue to mentor. Um, but public speaking, I have no idea. I just speak what's real from my perspective and from my heart and hope that it changes someone's life. I wanted to be the first to say that to you now. <clears throat> Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, now, now, now get Thank your you. agent on the phone and talk to him because I've done public speaking. It's awesome because people just want you to be you. You're right. They just want you to be you. And if okay, you have yeah. a powerful message okay. like your message, whether you're talking about your faith or talking about you know, the business that you built for yourself, that those are powerful messages. They're motivating. People need to hear motivation that's yeah. positive. And I think you got the right message for that. So, um, you know, if your agent wants to talk to me, you know, we right here. I, yeah, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. <laughs> uh, you, you, you also just mentioned, and I was going to get to this anyway, so you actually segued me right into it. Your Play to Win nonprofit. Tell us about that. Yeah, oh, that's my baby, man. Uh, anybody that was following me for Next Food Network Star, I know that when I started, to, when I left to go do the, the, the taping, my son had ran away and he got involved in the street gang thing and it just was shocking. And I, my message has always been, it will always be to parents, no matter how good you are, no matter what you think you're doing right or wrong as a parent, keep your eyes on your kids and keep them close because the enemy is coming to get your kid and will take your kid down the path they call them opioids now. We call it dope and yeah. crack, but down a path that you just can't figure out. And my son is an awesome, awesome, awesome man. And to know that there, I am a father that thought I was doing the best I could do with raising my son and to have him in a situation that I couldn't even imagine happening. I was sitting on a toilet in Camden in my apartment and I felt the Holy Spirit say, program. And I'm like, God, I can't do this. I can't mental talk to no boys. No. And play to win was born. I remember my dad telling me, you got to play to win in this world. You got to be at it every day. You can't. Because my dad was a hard worker. Never stopped. Never took a day off. Didn't drink, smoke, get high. None of that. And I looked up and I still look at him like, you are the man that I want to be. And I wanted to instill this into my son. But since he wasn't home, I was able to instill it to a lot of these boys in Camden. And the program is based on me being with you for 10 years, I get you at 14 or 15 in the ninth grade, I'll follow you through because you guys, as all of us as men, we know that most of the challenges come when you're out of school. You got to figure stuff out because you got so many persuasions. You got freedom, you got girls, you got life, you got drugs, you got music, you got partying, and then you got to make a decision like, hey, after the, all this, then you got to have a roof over your head. You have to have a plan. You have to survive, have your own money in your pocket. You can't leech and be a, a freaking bum. And that's what I was really there um, and for and play the winners to talk to these young men and say, hey, respect your mom, respect your dad, find a, a belief. If you don't want to believe in my Jesus, believe in something, but you got to get out in this world and survive. You, you, we can't have another statistic of you saying, I'm from the city, this is what I'm supposed to do. No, you're not. No, you're supposed to be something great. Everyone is given a gift and a talent. What are you going to do with it? And my job is to help you find it because everyone's not going to be made for rapping or sports or what the norm is, but you best believe whether you're going to be an actor, a writer, a journalist, a violinist, I'm going to find out what it is that you like and help you get to that path and hopefully guide you along the way. And God be 
get to me to talk to these men. They're willing to listen. And they, they got parents. They got dads and mom at home. Not all of them were single-parent homes. So it was a matter of just you need a different voice sometimes to come in and intervene and talk to your kids, and that's what the program is all about. You know about. what? Uh, listening to kids is, is, is so important. Uh, I remember I uh, volunteered at a school in South Central Los Angeles called Washington Preparatory School, and I was there to help the students with their filmmaking and TV projects. And when the kids would pitch me their stories, some of these stories were gut-wrenching stories about their experiences in the hood and the fact that they had lost a parent to a drug overdose or a, a, a sibling to gang violence and stuff like that. And when you sit down and you watch these kids putting these really heart-wrenching short films together, 10, 15 minutes long, and just tell, you can see the pain etched on their face, but you know what I learned from that? They just needed somebody to listen. Listen, <clears throat> shut your yes. mouth and listen. So the only advice I ever gave those students that had to do with their filmmaking was just the structure of their story to make sure they told their story in the right sequence. Other than that, I got out of their way because they were fully capable of telling their own story. And the talent in that room, I'm, I'm talking 14, 15 year old kids, the talent in that room was off the chain. I have never seen that much talent. And then I, it, it kind of harken back to my own childhood. I got lucky because my father joined the Air Force um, about uh, two months after I was born. Um, and so that got us off the streets of Atlantic City, because if you know anything about Atlantic City, the whole north side of Atlantic City is the hood. And I got fortunate. I got off the streets of Atlantic City, and I spent three years in Spain as a child. And so there, but for the grace of God go I, is the decision my father made. But those kids that I was mentoring didn't get that break. So, you know, that, that's one of the reasons why I resonated with your play to win. All that you need to do is talk to them and listen. Just shut your mouth and listen. Yes. And even parents today, I sit there, you know what? I, I just was sharing this with a buddy of mine. I, I played tennis with and I'm like, dude, if we shut up as parents and listen to what's going on in our kids' minds on a daily basis, someone across this country, I don't care if you're white, black, Puerto Rican, Chinese, Asian, Jamaican, whatever, it's going to stop their kid from doing or making a mistake that's going to either hurt them or hurt someone else. But it's about us humbling ourselves because now we're in a generation, everyone knows everything. It's all about education driven and you got to be, you know, talking to your kids about they should be in college and they should have a 401k. No, listen to their heart because they got things going on in their own lives, within their schools, within their friend circle, within their Snapchat. They're seeing and exposed to things that we've never been exposed to and they're dealing with things that they got to make a decision on that they don't know they should go left or right on. But when you get these parents and these people in their lives, it's just chatter, chatter, chatter. My thing is like, yo, I love the news. I love the sports. When my son opens his mouth, I cut that off. I mute it. When my daughter looks at me, hey, dad, I was thinking, period. Okay. Think on, baby. We got 24 hours in a day. It's all yours. And I take that same approach that God takes to us. He wants us to talk to him. He's like, I wish to talk to me. I'm here. That's how I apply myself to my parents. That's how I apply myself to play to win. Because these boys come talking to me the stuff that they can't talk to their yeah. parents about. They can't share with their friends because it sounds corny. You know how bad it was for me in the 80s to say I wanted to be a chef? I was called faggot, gay, stupid, corny. I got people throwing food at me. I got bullied every day. My mom was like, don't you start no fights, baby, because I got no time to come get you out of school. My dad was like, you go in there and put your foot off. <laughs> I have a story. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I got, I'll just eat this because my dad kept telling me on the flip side, they're going to be the same ones that's going to be looking for a job from you. Trust me. Okay. And I had to stick with that. But it was yeah. tough. And I'm sure that wherever you come from the suburbs 
or a rural area or urban area, there's a lot of peer pressure mm -hmm. on this generation. And it's been a lot of peer pressure on us, but we had, were cut from a different cloth, just generations from a different cloth. We need to listen more and help them understand their purpose and that they have a goal and God has a goal for them. You have a cookbook. I want to get to that cookbook. Yes. Simply done, well done. I wanted to ask you what inspired you to write that book, but I think I know the answer, even though, <laughs> right? but I, I want to break down. What do you mean by simply done? And then what do you mean by well done? The title of your book. It's, uh, it's a great question. Um, if we get too deep as chefs, everything's got to be complicated. A lot of ingredients. You got to have everything homemade. Um, you got to spend a crap load of money to make a dish. And I'm like, hey, we do this in this very simple way and get the same great results. So my whole purpose behind this book was talk about things that I had as a kid, things that I've eaten when I, you know, went to different restaurants and I put my own spin on it so that people can A, afford the ingredients, B, know where to find them and C, have fun cooking. Because when you get into these cookbooks, sometimes you get these long recipes with 10, 12, 15 ingredients. It can be discouraging. I know as a chef, I don't know as a novice, but as a chef, it's, it's a lot of unnecessary pressure. And sometimes I just don't want to do it. And simply done, well done, it's a matter of saying, hey, if you got to go get a jar of pesto, it's fine. But you're going to make this pesto pasta. But if you want to make it from scratch, I had the pesto recipe in to go with the pesto and tortellini chicken dish. If you want to make a salad, that's fine. If we're going to use canned fruit, get the canned fruit. But if you happen to have fresh fruit, use the fresh fruit. Mm. But I'm going to tell you at the end, it's going to be well done. It's going to be too <laughs> I love it. I be, love it. You can't win. You can't lose. You are a star. So I think that that's, that, that was the approach of the book. Uh, and to take ease and just be like, hey, I'm a down-home cook that wants to show you how to do Nice, this nice, nice. When I started, I said I wanted to ask you what inspired you to write that book. And I said, I think I know. Well, just in case I don't have it all right, can you answer that question for me? God. God. It's probably one of the most boring interviews you've ever done. No, this is like, fine. I don't have no other answer. No, this is good. I love it. I love it, yeah. Aaron. Yeah. Yes. And, my, and I got to say, partly it was my family, too, because I give a lot of love to my family and my church. Because these folks were, I got six brothers and sisters, Andrew, Vance, Carla, Brad, Donovan best friends on the face of this earth, an amazing mom, Julia and Aaron McCargo Sr., best parents on earth. They stuck with me through thick and thin. They tasted everything I put in front of them. They gave me critical and, and constructive criticism. Um, they loved me when I was down. They loved me when I was up. They loved me when I had a dollar. They loved me when I had 10 cents. These are genuine, good, good people in my life. And every story in that cookbook has something pertaining to someone in my family, something we've eaten together, something we've done. And um, because it's, it's something to have support. And they were my to be then to now. My brother today celebrated his birthday. He said, bro, I called him to say happy birthday. First thing he said was, how was QVC that? <laughs> Did you like the Tumblr? I'm like, dude, I love the Tumblr. And I know he's going to ask me for a hookup, but that wasn't happening. <laughs> Tell our audience how they can get your book, Aaron. Uh, actually, the book is, is, is out of circulation right okay. now. So we're working on see if they, the company will, because they made a lot of changes internally with the publisher. So we're working okay, on right. that. Nice, nice. Hey, uh, during our pre-interview, before we all started recording, you also mentioned your cooking school. It's Academy of Culinary Arts. Okay. Yes. Atlantic County, if you all don't know where that is, South Jersey. <laughs> South Jersey. Get on, act like you're going to Atlantic City, get on a black horse pike, you'll hit the school. 
If you want to go to Atlantic City, they'll bump into your old uh, house. Actually, <laughs> in my case, I would because I used to live on Black Horse Pike. Uh, the year, yeah, oh, the year my here. dad went to um, Vietnam, my uh, aunt owned a place called Cedar Inn. And it was at 1307 Black Horse Pike. It's been torn down now. Now an auto body shop is there. Right. But you know where the, uh, there's a, a playground, a Santa's playground or something like that on the Black Horse. That's on the right hand yeah. side. Go on straight. It's a big we live directly across the street from that. Right. Oh, wow. So you weren't far from the Hamilton nope. Mall neither. I was not. I used to ride my bike down there, even on busy Black Horse Pike as a 12-year-old kid. And I worked at that McDonald's on the circle because I lived in Carter. He used to eat so at that McDonald's. That was the first McDonald's I've ever eaten that was on the circle in Carter. The, the year that my dad was in Vietnam, which was 1969 and 1970, my mom, she hated cooking. So once or twice a week, we got in the car and drove down to that McDonald's on Carter Circle because it was the only one in the neighborhood at the time. And we ate our McDonald's right. for like a dollar. <laughs> My man. <laughs> yeah. small, small world. <laughs> and, and I used to be a big bowler and I used to bowl the Northfield bowling lanes. I used to put my I used to put my uh, bowling ball on my bicycle handlebars at eight o'clock in the morning and just pedal that five miles down to get to the bowling alley. <laughs> you know what, guys? You know what, guys? I'm jealous. I want to talk about oysters and Barbados. <laughs> oh, stop. That is the happening spot in the Caribbean. Hands down. Down. Wait a minute, what's the Hands name of this down. place? Okay. It's, I'll let him explain it, but I call it the outside party, food mecca. Dave, you tell me, am I wrong? You're or right. Did I miss You're something? Right. I wanted you to it's describe it. A party. Yes. It's a um, That was, I went there back to back. It's, it's, it's where you get authentic, great food made down in the mac and cheese pies all the way down to the, the, the fish pie. It, it's, it's just good community environment, great fun, crowded like nobody's business, super hot, but the environment, the people, the ambiance, the drive, and it goes on into the late nights, and it's just a wonderful experience. If no one ever had the experience to do anything in this world before they die, they have to experience yeah. that. And I could be wrong, but that's I had I went back and took my wife really to experience. Really? Uh, absolutely. Wow. Yes, indeed. Yeah. She can she's a witness to uh, it. And, and how many yeah. rum drinks did you have? Aaron doesn't drink. Um, I did the um the, I, I, I got my mouth gay in the room. So <laughs> really? I did my mouth gay. <laughs> yes. Yes, I got the bottle. I, if I go get it right now, we gotta do a shot. So I got the um the seventeen sixty, I think. Seventeen sixty. I went and I yeah. Oh, wait, wait. one of the best rums in the world to me still today. I made a recipe for a video not too long ago. Uh, uh, well, as a matter of fact, we, we actually had a, 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 a guest write us uh, yesterday, I believe, and they suggested a show that we do based on Caribbean rum called Rum Chat. So when Dave and I put Rum Chat together, we're going to see if we can get you back on. <laughs> okay. I will be there. I yeah, will because... definitely be there. Make sure we got some of that. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, I, I'll have Dave sh have it shipped into you. <laughs> oh, <that's cool. laughs> he, he's not far from you anyway he could actually just get that's, in the car and drive it down to your house that's right i can drive it <laughs> oh that sounds even better <laughs> hey um i i know you heard at the beginning of the show and i hate to jump off on a serious topic but i promise we'll get back to fun in just a second um COVID 19 it has decimated the restaurant business um what do you i, I know you've owned a couple of restaurants yourself where do we go from here? I mean, let's just assume for the sake of argument, sometime next year we have a vaccine. What's it going to take to get all these people back to work, get restaurateurs and chefs such as yourself back out there, you know, doing what you love to do? 
do, do you mind if I take a minute just to educate folks on what happens when you close a restaurant? No, please do. Okay, so my restaurant, McCargo's um, Bistro, was located on Cooper Street in Camden, across from the federal courthouse in the college district of Rutgers, um, Rowan, and Camden County College. Every seasonal change, when the college went out for a recess in May, I mean, in January and in the spring, I had to close because predominantly a lot of my business, I took the two-week vacation to close when they did because, of course, all the college students went back home and didn't leave a lot for the courthouse were closed, blah, blah, blah. So when you close, you got to get rid of the food. So me being the chef that I am, and some chefs don't do this, I chose to give it to the local families, to give it to the VOA. And a lot of those companies and places won't take it because they don't want anyone to get sick depending on your, depending on your insurances. So long story short, when you reopen, you have to restock and get an inventory in and you got to make sure that the staff had money for those two weeks you were closed because that wasn't their choice. So now let's bring it to 2020. When you close your restaurant due to a pandemic, and you are a mom and pop shop, or you are a Del Frisco's, or you name it, or Buffalo Wild Wings, you have 50, somewhere between 15 and 100 employees sometimes. So now we got to consider the first off in my world is my employees. How do they survive? Because we have to close. And then you can tell them to go apply for unemployment, but some of them might not have been there that long to be able to get unemployment. Um, those that are servers that are working off of tips is pennies to get that. Um, the owners themselves still have their rents, the, the daily day, day to day bills, you know, no one really give you a pass on that. So these are some of the just a small uh, percentage mm -hmm. of the things that happen when you close. Now you're talking about reopening under a limited capacity of 25 to 30 percent, if that. And then you have to have a six foot, six foot distancing. There comes a bunch of problems and decisions to make, because at the end of the day, if I had a 40 to 50 seat mom and pop joint that went down to 30%, then you're talking about, I'm losing about a good 25, 30 seats that I have to mm. take out. Now, I don't need that much staff, so I got to cut that staff. Then I choose who comes back. Then I got to hope that they make money. It's a whole mm. bunch of things that go into to, to that whole operation of reopening. Short answer to a long question or long answer to a short question is it's really, really tough. And when the government doesn't see that and when people are begging for the PPP loans and they're asking for how are they going to survive it puts the owners in a bad position because guess what we have here now we got those that when they say we got limited restrictions but you can open they're opening but then you have those folks like yourself and maybe myself or whomever to say I don't know if I'm quite ready to go out yet but we need the support in this industry but we also want someone to be safe so where do we win how do we do this because I can't make you come out and risk your life or even my staff or myself to support my business, to keep the doors open and to make sure that everyone has food on the table. But in the same token, I have a family that's at risk. You know what I'm saying? I have people that I love that's at risk going out. So it's a really bad place to be. I can tell you the short answer was to financially be able to secure um, some type of better grant situation, not loans, grants um, based on, what type of revenue you were bringing in because some of these restaurants granted were on their way out the right. door anyway i'm gonna keep it real with you so this was just a way to weed out those that weren't going to make it that were putting out crappy food they were horrible to their employees and to their guests but then there's a good percentage of them that really this is what they live on this is what they they built uh, with blood sweat and tears their employees were loyal to them you just can't walk away from that so now we i know in philadelphia they're going to about a 50 percent capacity um uh, starting this week or last week a lot of states, Florida's wide, wide open. They've been wide open with it all the time along. Um, big ignorance. 
Um, but then you got this, I'm looking for an answer. What do we do to help the owners, the, the, the staff, the employees, but also make sure that everyone's safe in the door. And, and I've been out, I was in North Carolina, I had a mask on to go into a restaurant. Um, they had the six foot distancing, but it just didn't do something for me because I felt the pain on the mm -hmm. owner. I'm like, dude, you got only 10 tables in here and you were a 60 table restaurant and you're awesome food. Your reviews were great. Everything's, and, but it, 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 he turned around and uh, two weeks after we left, he closed his doors wow. again because he just could, his staff couldn't make money. He couldn't sustain it. And it just wasn't, it just wasn't worth it. it. So it's a bad place. Yeah, a bad and I time. think, I think of, I think another thing too, is people think that restaurants operate on wide profit margins. You don't. Those are thin profit margins. Very, very thin. And it's so, it's so sad that folks that think that I'm, you're getting over them by charging them for the food that you're charging them. And you're getting over because you don't need to have this type of service. And everyone should be a cash and carry. You can't dictate. That's like me telling you that you're a jazz singer. You should play freaking rock and roll. No, it's, it's what I started before COVID and what people came to for before COVID. And it was a, a tough stretch then. Yeah, you're making some money. But you're not freaking hand over fist rich by this, by no means. You really have to establish yourself over 10, 15, 20 years to say, okay, I can think about taking a really good vacation. It's, it's, that's the reality. Yeah. And I'm glad that you answered that question that, that way, Aaron, because it shows that you're not a selfish person. I sense that there's so many people, because of the economic situation, they, they want to take that risk of opening because of the monies that they're losing. But then if you don't, if, if everyone is sick or everyone's ill, you, you're still in the same position. You don't have anyone to come to those restaurants, you know? So I'm, I'm encouraged that you answered the question that way because it shows the person you are. You're not a selfish person. You're thinking about people as well. You're thinking about your staff. And, and it's no sad too, because you, you sit there and you see these people go out and they go through all this work to put the tents up, to put the extra tables outside. And now you got the elements against you because once you put the tables outside and the tent, you get the rain, you know, the, the weather's changing. So you got another obstacle to deal with because now you're outside of your brick and mortar and you're having to freaking survive on top of having another extra layer of stress because, hey, when it rains, guess what? We got to shut down again. Yeah. You know, then if we get an outbreak, like, like we're looking at possibly in the fall due to the flu or just the uprise in Corona cases. Now we're closing again, and, and it's, it's so it's a bad place yeah. to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I live here in Vegas, and our restaurants have been open for months at 50% capacity. Mm -hmm. And when you walk into a place and you see that six-foot distancing, it's off-putting. It's bizarre. And I know from my business side of me that that restaurant owner is suffering. I don't care how many takeout orders you make. You, can, you could just feel the, the change in the atmosphere. And they got these little signs all over six feet distancing. Everybody walks in with a mask on. And then you get to your table, you take the mask off. I mean, it, it is the strangest thing. I, I never thought I would see this in my lifetime. I just didn't. I mean, I didn't know anything about the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic until this hit. And then I had to go back and read up on that. And, you know, I, I, I know what caused the Spanish flu pandemic in the United States. It was mostly the soldiers coming home from World War I who brought it to America. This is different because this just like, you know, wiped out everybody. You would think after all the science and technology advances, we would know better. And we didn't. Right. Yeah. I, 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 go ahead, brother. 
I'm sorry. I wanted to add to the and the one thing for the customers that are out there that, that are taking risks, and I'm not saying this is in every case, but think about as a chef, I can't even guarantee you I'm going to give you the best, freshest quality of food because it's not moving as fast as it should. So I'm stuck between making that choice. Do I push this turkey one more day to see if I can make a dollar on it, or do I just open up a new one? Because I know that traditionally, normally, and for the sake of the, the, the craft of cooking and food, I don't want to risk anyone getting sick. But you got a lot of places that are going to be stuck with this decision to make on their inventory because it's not moving as fast. And because you still, if you have, if you shrink down your menu, you've got customers that's going to come in looking for that favorite item. If you leave your menu wide open, you have a big inventory. It's a lot of other, you know, do's and don'ts that's involved in this whole opening and closing thing. And I really just don't have the answer, but to give financial right. relief. I got you. Um, uh, I know we've kept you almost an hour. Uh, so we're going to let you jump here in a second, but what are some of the things that you would like to accomplish going forward as a chef? What are, what are, what are those things that you just, Hey, I haven't done this yet. I need to go do this. I want to try something different. I want to do something. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so that's just so timely. Um, two things that's on my list. Uh, three things. Dave's um, wrong. Going, I, <laughs> <laughs> that was my number one thing. I wish they would bring back the Barbados rum and wine. Um, I would love to be there to do that again at the Polo Club. Um, two, I would like to to I, I would like to produce and do a food game show that I think that will apply and appeal to everybody. That's on my to-do list, um, hopefully in 2020, God yeah. willing. And also, um, I haven't had the opportunity to open up a slew of eateries that I like, um, that I think that will appeal to people in a different way because I got a different take on the type of restaurants that's out there um, that I would like to do. Uh, so those are the three things. Um, Besides making sure that the sauce and the spice is global, yes. I want that. That's at the top of the list. I believe that the sauce and the spice, I want that to be uh, the household name across the world, not just in Jersey, not just in the tri-state area, but around the world. I really believe I have something and I would like to eventually open up the sauce and spice restaurant where you could come and grab and go. Nice. Um, some of the great things that you can do with the sauce right. and the spice. Right. And Michael, I'll tell you what, I can't let, I just can't let Aaron, Aaron off the hook. So I want to add a little bit of humor. Aaron, I've got, I've got a couple of questions for you. You can make them short sure. or you can make them long. Uh, okay. Get a drink. What do you do for fun? Play tennis. Okay. That's a short, that's a good answer. Yep. Do you eat your veggies? Not as much as I should. Good, an but good I answer. Them. I love them all. Good, good, good answer. Hey, mom, are you listening? Uh. <laughs> okay. Tell us a time when you were put in the situation that truly tested your ability to handle things as a chef. Next Food Network store, hands really? down. Really? Yeah, that was, that was tough, man. I, I'm not going to lie. That was, that was tough. That was tough because you didn't have any resource. You didn't have cookbooks. You didn't have TV. You didn't have a phone. It wasn't like I can Google anything. It was just whatever you knew, you better know. Because when they said this is the challenge, you had to know it. And that was that was something I've never experienced in my All life. All right. And my last question that deals with humor. Tell us the funniest kitchen, kitchen incident that you've had. This is going to be, <laughs> some people that don't know, this is still the funniest. I was working at Fine Dining. I mentioned Chef John Turner, my best friend and mentor. So I was in Fine Dining. 
And I knew nothing about cuts of steak. I didn't know it was sirloin from a ribeye, from a filet or nothing. And I wanted to make me a cheesesteak. And, and of course, by night, we had the best of everything. So I remember watching him clean a tenderloin. So a tenderloin is a good 14, 15 inches. You can get about 10, 12 pounds on a good one. And I didn't know what he was cleaning them for. And I was just a prep cook learning how to cook. And I took and went out there and I chopped up this filet mignon, the tenderloin, chopped it up, pounded it out, and made the bangingest cheesesteak ever. So I make this cheesesteak. I take it to his office and I give it to him to eat. He's eating it with me like, damn, this is good. But where'd you get this steak me from? I said, it was in the walk-in. He's like, in the walk-in? I'm like, yeah, there's a big thing of steak in there. He's like, what did it look like? I said, it's like a long <laughs> thing, man, with nice and red looking and everything. He said, what you do with it? I said, I slice it up real thin. I pounded it. I fried the onions. I threw that in it with the cheese. He said, man, that was for my party. <laughs> he almost fired me. But that was the best cheese thing ever. Because it was funny because he ate it with me. And, and then I'm answering this like all obliviously. Like, yeah, man. So that was that was funny. But it was that's, good. And I almost lost my That's fun. That's fun. That's fun. Hey, hey, man, I know you got your QBC stuff coming up. Uh, uh, is it this weekend? Uh, yes, we were on last night. And we'll be on from anywhere in the hours between 12 and 4 with okay. David. In gotcha. The David. And um, – other than your QBC show and getting your sauces and spices out there, what's next for you? What what else is going on in your life that uh, that we should start to look for? Um, honestly, uh, getting this show, I know your taste. I'm really pushing to get this this game show off and, and the podcast in the New Year's um, called Real Talk Food Talk. I'm doing similar to what you guys are doing, but talking about the real things behind the food scenes and what people need to know and also letting people know where to go get really good food and, and then touching and, and tackling real issues that people stay away from um, that you would have as a round table discussion when you're eating and seeing how people react, result, react to the, the other side of Aaron McCargo Jr. Cause they get to see the chef side. They know the spiritual side, they know the dad side, but like you and I were talking politics and the things that's been happening. I do have my voice in on the Brianna Taylor situation. I do have my voice on the, the democratic Republican situation right now. I do have, a voice on how we're feeding our kids in school and what they're getting and what you're getting in the suburbs and what you're getting in the hood. Um, there's a lot of things pertaining to food and what, what's happening. And, um, you know, it's just a matter of just talking about it and having real talk with people and not having no judgment. Um, it's funny. I got someone that chimes in on my Facebook when I'm doing Facebook, they always tend to want to critique the small thing. Oh, he's double dipping. He's putting his finger. We get too petty about things in life. And I'm like, I want to tell people, stop, grow up. Grow up. Stop. Stop judging. Stop being about everybody else's business. And what's your, what's yours? What, what are you doing to make a difference in society? Are you voting? Are you voting locally? Are you talking to your constituents? Are are, are they talking to you rather? Are you in talking about the council people that you're going to put in office, the freeholders, the mayors? Or are you just waiting every four years and thinking that's where it starts? Because it doesn't. It starts from the lower level, grassroots part of of your community to make a difference in the big picture. And so hopefully. Um, Gotta come across. Here's my public service announcement. Please vote. Uh, I, I'm gonna re repeat that. Please yep. vote. I get. I am the worst. Every voting time it comes, I get my sticker. I take my kids to the voting booth and I yell at people. And mom, I know you love me, but I had to get on my mom because I get tired of people saying it's not going to make make a difference. I get tired of people saying it does make it. It, it really it does. It does make it. It, it, it really does. My mom blew a gasket when she found out my sister didn't vote a couple of years ago. She would live it. <laughs> I'm going on a violent rage when it, when I I'm I'm there. I'm just and it, choose a party. I'm not here to persuade you which party. 
you should be able to look at the evidence of what's been presented to you that affects you. I'm going to say this so I don't get on the soapbox. When I hear about, hey, the economy has been great, who has the economy been great for? That's why when I talk to people and they talk this ignorance, like I'm voting for Trump because of this. Or I'm for, look at what's the guts of or the center of the plate, right. I say, food related. What is that doing for you and your community and your right. family? That's what right. it's And you for. know the best time to have these conversations? Over a plate of food. <laughs> well, hey, I hey, it. let let us know when your real talk food talk podcast starts. You know, we'd like to you know get you on again and let you talk about that and stuff like that. Because D- Dave and I, we can have these conversations with you. That there's no problem for us talking politics or any subject matter for that matter. We we awesome. And I have a loaf of bread and PB and J there. I get us some nice fish sandwiches off the beach in, in Barbados. Oh, in Barbados. <laughs> yes. that, that, that means that this podcast has to be done in person. Yes, 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 yes. yes. I, I do travel, so yes. Yes. yes, yes. And my son's in Vegas. He's in North, uh, North oh, Las okay. Vegas, so it's a good reason. Oh, to come yeah, my out sister there. lives up there in my mom's old house, actually. Oh, yeah. awesome, yeah, awesome. Very familiar with it. I do got to say, I got to get you guys some sauce and spice in your hand. So when we get done, make sure you email your information because I, I just want to get you guys professional opinion on uh, it. Thank, thank you so much. Thank Appreciate you so that. much. We know you're extremely busy. Uh, so I just, I just want to thank you for appearing on our show today. It's been an education and, and it's been a lot of fun for us. And I'm certain that our guests would actually be better off for, 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 for you doing the show. Thank you. You can read more about Aaron on his website. AaronMcCargo.com. That's Aaron with two A's at the beginning, McCargo.com. Until next time, for Michael, this is Dave. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>